Stay tuned for The Turning Point with Mike Fader. This is Mike Fader. Welcome to the show. Uh, Today, on the first part of the show, we have a guest who has written a very interesting article for Tom Dispatch Online. Second part of the show, we have, uh, there will be some reflections on Passover, specifically, or especially, I should say, tyranny and liberation. Uh, But in the first part of the show, uh, and, and partially this is about the subject today, too, about tyranny, at least, um, we have with us uh, Nate Tarani, who is a Muslim American, and as I said, wrote a really interesting piece on Tom Dispatch. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you, Mike. Thank you for having me. Sure. Let me uh, let me give the listeners um, a little bit of your background here. And Nate Tarani is a veteran of the U.S. Navy and served in military intelligence with the Defense Intelligence Agency. Maybe I ask you a little bit about that. 
if you're allowed to yes, talk. Yes, of course. If you're allowed to talk about it. Uh, he is currently a spokesperson for Common Defense PAC and a regional campaign organizer with Veterans Challenge Islamophobia. He is a featured columnist with the Arizona Muslim Voice newspaper. <clears throat> so how'd you wind up at the Defense, Defense Intelligence Agency? Uh, well, Mike, my, my family immigrated here from Iran, and I'm a first-generation American um, born here. And so I, I speak Farsi and um, have you know the cultural knowledge that comes with growing up as an Iranian-American. Um, I had previously to the Defense Intelligence Agency um, been selected to serve in the Navy's uh, Presidential Honor Guard, so I already had my top secret and uh, Yankee White uh, White House clearances, and it translated into the Defense Intelligence Agency clearance I needed. Uh, so I was recruited uh, based on that. I was recruited based on my um, cultural knowledge, language skills, and uh, already existing security clearances. So when was this? This was in nineteen end of nineteen ninety eight into nineteen ninety nine. Okay, so um, just during the Bush administration, there, right? Uh, this was during the Clinton administration. But it overlapped, um, did it? And then it overlapped into 2000, 2001 uh, with the Bush administration. By that time, I had transferred to the uh, Naval Reserve anyway. So, mm -hmm. And uh, Common Defense PAC? Common Defense PAC is a group now that has grown to over 100,000 members. Uh, it's progressive veterans, military, uh, military families. Um, and it uh, started out as Vets Against Trump. Um, and hmm. we were sounding the uh, alarm bells during the election, during the primaries, about the dangers of, of this man. And uh, it really, our message at Common Defense really resonated with folks, and it, it really took off. Uh, and what seems clear, but you could expand a little bit, veterans challenge Islamophobia. Right. Veterans Challenge Islamophobia was a project of Veterans for Peace, um, and now it's it has also become its own entity. Um, to an extent, it's still a little bit of a part of uh, Veterans for Peace, but that's exactly it. Um, veterans Challenge Islamophobia is stemming from the idea that American veterans have a particular credibility with the American public, in that we can we can speak perhaps some hard truths to folks. And, and have a listening ear for maybe a little bit longer than others um, to, to sort of address some of these consequences of rampant Islamophobia and bigotry and hate speech. Um, how'd you wind up in Arizona? <laughs> well, um, my, my family was out here, and my mom and I moved um, my uh, junior year of high school to Phoenix, um, to be a little bit closer to my aunt and uncle and my cousins uh, from New Jersey. I primarily grew up in New Jersey before that. Is there is there a, a, a fairly good-sized Muslim um, population out there? Because Arizona is sort of fairly notorious, among other places in this country, for not being too happy about, quote-unquote, minorities. No, not at all. You're exactly right. There, there's an Iranian-American community in Phoenix. Not, not a large one, but they exist. And then certainly in Tucson, it's a little bit more diverse. But when we lived in Phoenix, of course, it was, you know, that's Maricopa County where there is that notorious former sheriff and now criminal uh, Joe Arpaio. Uh, and, and that, you know, his anti-immigrant and um, anti-minority uh, bluster was, was really hard to take for a lot of folks in the community. But, hmm. um, yeah, no, you're right. It, it is very sparse. Well, it's challenging and probably will become more challenging. Uh, let me uh, 
Let me read the first short paragraph of the piece you wrote for Tom Dispatch, and then we could talk some more. That would be all right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Of course. Um, Recently, I had an ominous dream. It was noon on a gray, cold January 20th, 2020, and Donald Trump was being sworn in for his second term as president. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. I continue. Massive inaugural crowds cheered him exuberantly as a gentle snow fell on a sea of Make America Great Again red hats and Trump banners waving in front of the Capitol. Now, that's really a nightmare. But, uh, it really is. So yeah. uh, expand a little bit. I mean, as we follow along. with, with uh, So what, what's, what was uh, more details of the dream you had? Nightmare, I should say. You know, I mean, th- this is, you know, a, a part of, of what Trump himself has mused about and, and Vox has reported that, you know, really the only chance that this administration has of not just going down in, in flames is if there's another uh, a terror attack and something on a large scale. And they themselves have admitted that they kind of are seeking that and hoping that that will save them. And I think in wake of such an attack that um, that dream could become a reality because we know that, for example, after September 11th... Well, let's, I'm sorry to interrupt you, so, but, but let's hear more about uh, the way you envision... Uh, mm-hmm. what that 2020 inauguration would look at, look like. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's just, you know, they talk about the tepid crowds that were at this first um, inauguration, mm-hmm. sparse and very few. I, I envision a lot of people being there. I envision that the country has rallied around him, and um, it's, it's just this dystopian, dark future, um, you know, where the MAGA crowds... Uh, the MAGA cult is really in charge of everything. And, you know, it's, it's become a, a complete fearscape, a police state. And, um, and, you know, everyone's living out of fear. And you're mentioning, um, let's see, agents, uh, immigration and I, customs enforcement agents clad right. in black uniforms. Uh, right. Like the SS in Germany, right? Storm, well, exactly like that, yeah. Stormed local Washington. This is part of your dream here and hope it's yeah. never a reality. Stormed local Washington homes and businesses, arresting people, loading them into large unmarked cargo trucks. And that's how it all began over in Germany. And, and like I guess as you mentioned before, uh, the reason that this is a huge turnout and all these people were there and uh, this Nazi-like atmosphere with all these crowds and the cops everywhere is because perhaps there has been, there was a large terrorist attack and that was all it took to declare a kind of uh, martial law aimed at certain minorities, right? That's exactly right. And, and you hit the nail on the head. I, I think a, a primary source of this is just, you know, studying um, the rise of Nazism in Germany. Um, and, you know, if you talk about the parallels of uh, burning down of the Reichstag, a terror attack would be just that. Another terror attack would be just that in the U.S. to where um, the, this current administration would seize power much in the same way that the Nazis were able to take advantage of um, the horrors that were occurring at the time or that they were perpetuating at the time uh, to, to then commit the crimes that the Nazis committed in Germany but here in the United States. Well, it's, uh, I mean, I think that's a fear that everybody, I mean, Muslim or not, but every, I mean, that's been expressed by people I know. I've expressed it on the air here before that uh, it doesn't take much for people like this, uh, Trump and all these people, especially since he's threatened with his very existence in office right now from various sectors. I mean, one, uh, one side is uh, Mueller's investigation and the other side absurdly 
but almost inevitably with him, is from, uh, you know, uh, a porn actress. You know, so he's really, and what has happened, I mean, before written history, I mean, what little we know about any history anywhere, and then throughout written history, all it takes for a dictator or an emperor or a president when they're in trouble to rally everybody is a war, you know, domestic enemies, A, usually a minority, and B, some war where we all have to be patriotic or we get locked up. Right. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. And then, you know, if you, right now, if you can imagine the war, that's absolutely correct. The economy is roaring. What if it were to crash? Um, they're setting up this scapegoating uh, atmosphere right now. All of the pieces are in place. Um, and, the, and the players are now with, with Pompeo and Bolton are, are falling into place as well. So, so they're laying the foundation to create that just that thing. And, and, you know, that's sort of that's a, a piece of why I wanted to write this article was for folks to at least be aware that the foundation is being um, laid for this to occur. <clears throat> the uh, and, and people are, on the other hand, too, people are terrified of these mass shootings. And um, although we've seen clearly that uh, the mass shooters and mass murderers in this country don't uh, come from any one particular place, uh, you know, they're. Um, <clears throat> They're uh, of every sort of origin, you know, upper class, middle class, uh, white, uh, you know, whatever, black. Uh, I mean, people are committing these crimes, but uh, this is all it takes. And, and I think this thing that you just mentioned is extremely important, that people don't, in the, in, the, in the fog of all this coming and going at the White House and all this sort of mm-hmm. clown act and everybody, mm-hmm. uh, they don't really see that what you just pointed out, which is laying this foundation appointing people. Maybe you could talk a little bit about Bolton's background. Uh, well, <laughs> Bolton, um, you know, I mean, folks call him a hawk. Um, and I'm, I'm not very, very familiar with Bolton outside of, you know, him having served in the Bush administration and, and some of his views. Um, but, you know, he, he is someone who um, has, has made a career of, you know, using his extreme views to propel um, folks to the center far over to the right. Um, he he's just like Pompeo, an extreme Islamophobe. Um, he chairs committees uh, to try to spread anti-Muslim propaganda throughout the U.S. Um, this this is someone that is really on the fringes of American politics and and is now going to be at the very heart of American foreign policy. Um, and the uh, National Security Advisor. And Pompeo himself has got an extraordinary history when it comes to immigrants and specifically uh, Muslim Americans. Maybe you could expand on him, too. Yes, Pompeo um, has been interviewed by Frank Gaffney, who is calls himself the nation's leading Islamophobe, uh, over 20 times. Uh, he's received the National Security Eagle Award um, from ACT for America, which is a notorious uh, anti-Muslim uh, hate group. And um, he, he prides himself on, on, on truly being an Islamophobe. Um, he's, he's unapologetic and doesn't, doesn't really try to hide it. Um, Pompeo is, is a very dangerous creature indeed. Uh, he is someone who, who, is, who is smart and cunning um, in his ways. And, and now to be Secretary of State, our nation's leading diplomat, um, is, is truly outrageous for this, for this person, of all people, to be um, selected for that position. I had an article I printed out <clears throat> on Pompeo, and let's see, a couple of things, if I can 
Pompeo, uh, after the uh, Boston Marathon bombings in 2013, uh, Pompeo, who was a member of Congress then, uh, I forget where he's from, where, what, what district he represents, falsely accused— I think Kansas, yeah. Oh, that's right, yeah. Falsely yeah. accused uh, American Muslim organizations of not condemning terrorism. Um, <clears throat> he accused the Muslim Americans, uh, American Muslims rather, uh, of being potentially complicit and um, and Trump, I mean, during I mean, look, Trump during his presidential campaign was repeatedly accusing Muslims uh, of knowing Muslims, all Muslims, of knowing about terrorists in their midst. And um, it's these are the guys. So I mean, you're absolutely right. He's setting something up here. Um, right. Now, um, moving on in your article here, by the way, if you just tuned in, we're talking to Nate Tarani, who. Uh, uh, has written a very interesting piece on Tom Dispatch. Uh, actually, I neglected to uh, mention the title of it here. It's um, Donald Trump's America Already Hell Enough for This Muslim American. So when, you, when you're talking in the, in the article here and you move on to talk about uh, the, the, what he's building up to and the people he's, um, he's uh, appointing here, um, I want, you're getting very specific and you're getting very graphic uh, recalling things from history. And there's a... a what I wanted you mentioning, of course, the Japanese American internment mm -hmm. in World War II, where right. uh, something like close to 120,000 Japanese uh, Americans, 62 percent of whom were citizens at the time, mm -hmm. none of whom was ever found out to be or was actually seriously suspected of being in any way treasonous or complicit in anything, and they were transferred to these awful internment camps in Montana yeah. and some and other places. A lot of them got sick and died, lost their businesses. And uh, so it can happen here. But you yeah. go even further, and you're talking, about, um, uh, you're talking about scenes that are like the Holocaust. You say, uh, yeah. one more step into my fears of the future for me to imagine myself an American veteran, as well as my family and other members of the Muslim community, sitting inside darkened train cars on our way to internment camps, while we desperately try to convince ourselves that surely the Supreme Court will overturn such an injustice. And then you go on to uh, <clears throat> specifically refer to the Holocaust. Um, a lot of people would say, and this is what happened in Germany, too. I just got through reading an astonishing novel about, um, mm -hmm. about World War II, specifically the Holocaust. And, of course, the world knows that nobody took this seriously, including the Jews in Germany and other parts right. of Eastern Europe. Nobody could believe that this could ever happen. Right. And maybe I'll say that here is specifically the devil's advocate. How could you possibly imagine that something like three and a half million Muslims, men, women, and children, could be loaded into cars and sent to camps? Can you you can imagine that though? Apparently. Of course, and I think that you know when you uh, you know when you look at some of the material that's out there, when you look at you know some of the anti-Muslim um, propaganda, when you look at the amount of money that these that many of these anti-Muslim groups like ACT are spending three hundred million dollars over the course of the last few years to to spread and just strictly to spread anti-Muslim hatred and fear, um, it's not that hard to to envision sort of what their end goal is or or what could happen when there's so much hysteria and um, and, and falsities and propaganda out there about Islam, it's, it's almost identical to the campaign that was run against the Jewish community in Germany in the 1920s and 30s. They are to blame for society's ills. They are this unknown other. Um, of course, all of it is lies, and that is, 
atypical scapegoating, but the parallels really are uncanny um, between what's going on now and what was happening in the in the buildup, as you say, into you know um, uh, the the camps in Germany. Uh, at least now we know from history. I mean, people have a tendency, right. uh, more than a tendency, right. a sort of natural inclination, it seems, to forget history. But uh, but at least we know what happened. Uh, and you mentioned, you know, just visiting the, the Holocaust Museum in Washington uh, could remind you in case you didn't know. Um, 300, right. $300 million? Where do they get all their money from? You know, that's the question. Um, I, I We haven't really been able to trace the source of where they're getting all of this money from. Um, obviously, some of it is donations. Um, where is the rest of it coming from? God only knows. Um, but it's a lot of money that these Pamela Geller and ACT groups um, are spending to to do the work that they're doing in spreading hate speech and, and, and propaganda against Muslims and Islam. Um, but yeah, there's no and And the other thing that they're doing is getting, as you say, or as we were talking about earlier, is getting their people in place in, in high places in government. Um, so, but there's I, I don't know where they're getting their money from. That's a question that we <laughs> that I know people be, besides me have looked into. Hmm. Well, uh, with and and then also Trump just appointed to head the CIA, a longtime CIA uh, professional who's got a pretty uh, ugly history herself, Gina Haspel. Yeah. Yeah, she's uh, you know, somebody who was in charge of one of these uh, black CIA prisons where there was torture. Right. Uh, bloody Gina um and Again, this is just uh, just this is just another sort of part and and facet of this administration appointing sort of these the most extreme characters into these positions um, to where you know morality and perhaps better judgment would just be um, shunned if if there was those kinds of decisions to be made at some point in the future. Well, you know, uh, I'd like to hear your opinion on this. Uh, Trump uh, is. Um Trump is somebody that a lot of people don't take seriously. And by the, by the way, of course, nobody took uh, Hitler seriously to begin with. Right. And he was considered uh, a crazy clown, and that was about it, right. including his, uh, his sidekicks, you know, uh, right. Goering exactly. and, uh, and, all, and Goebbels. They were all considered a bunch of, uh, you know, perverted, uh, you know, uh, halfwits. But, uh, well, yeah, exactly but they got fed. They got fed, and they got supported initially uh, and even as they went along by German industrialists. That, that's exactly right. And and these guys, you know, um, Goebbels, uh, Goering, all of these people, I mean, Goering probably to a lesser extent, um, but they were. They were sort of, um, they were wannabe soldiers. You know, we know that Himmler was just that. Um, they were people who, who were on the very fringes of society, and all of a sudden, um, because of various circumstances, they found themselves at the center of power. And it's, it's, it's insane that, you know, we've had this very sort of, this very scenario play out already with very, very similar characters. And it's almost like the people that are in place now are the doppelgangers of, of the others. I will say to your point that it has happened before. And so we have historical context and we have some, uh, precedent for this, and we can be aware. And of course, our system of government in the United States is different than the than that of Germany um, with regard to you know Congress, our Article One powers, and things like that. But 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 it's easy to see these parallels. I think you know. You know, it's always a, an eternal guessing game with Trump. Um, the how much he is actually uh, aware of or responsible for anything he says and does. Right. I mean, that's always the 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 great guessing game with him. 
Uh, and a lot of people uh, think that he's uh, influenced by, th- first of all, we know that uh, he watches Fox News to get not only what he calls actual news, right. uh, but he uh, also is hiring people who have been, I mean, Bolton for a long time has been, <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, if there was a Fox News, if there was some version of a Fox News in Hitler's Germany, he probably would have hired some people off there, you know, I mean. Yeah, exactly. So, but um do you think Trump uh, knows what he really wants to do in terms of domestic policy or foreign policy as far as this goes? I mean, or is he just being influenced by other people? I think he does. I think I think he is a lot smarter than or a lot more cunning than, than perhaps he's given credit for. I think it's the white nationalist agenda. Um, he's following that playbook. I think to an extent he's trying to instill these quote-unquote policies or um, try to put this into the public zeitgeist, this this white nationalist agenda. Um, I, I don't know how much of it is planned and how much of it is just throwing it all, you know, uh, in, into the public sphere. Um, but it is. It's the white nationalist playbook. Um, how much of his marching orders he's getting from, you know, other sources we don't yet know. Hmm. Um, but I, I think he's a lot more cunning than we give him credit for, if you will. Probably it's true. Probably it's true. Yeah. <clears throat> is the Common Defense Pack or Veterans Challenge Islamophobia, and for that matter, the Arizona Muslim Voice newspaper, are they backing candidates? Because one of the few things that we have left with some hope to change uh, the current administration or the government at all is the midterm elections. So are any of the groups that you're with um, backing specific political candidates? That's a really great question. Um, Veterans Challenge Islamophobia, um, being a part of Vets for Peace, is is a 501c3 nonprofit, so so um, nonpolitical. Uh, Common Defense is Common Defense um, on Twitter at Common Defense uh, is backing candidates, and um, Common Defense has endorsed candidates for the 2018 midterms. Um, Arizona Muslim Voice, being the newspaper, um, has not. But um, but yes, and I agree with you 100 percent. As I said earlier, um, it's not the same system of government as Germany. Um, Really, the only recourse, the only um, saving grace that I can see for us now is those 2018 midterms. Um, It is to elect, you know, an opposition party. And in this case, it's the Democratic Party um, to create true oversight into the administration. Um, We are uh, separate but equal branches of government. Um, so that's, that is our, I believe, really only saving grace. Yeah, well, it really is about time that this executive power, which has run way out of control, um, is balanced out in the way it was originally intended by the uh, legislative branch. Uh, well, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Of course. It, it was uh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Oh, sure. Nate Tarani, that's, um, uh, he's, um, T- that's spelled the last name, by the way. It's spelled T E R A N I, and he's a um, spokesperson for Common Defense Pack, and uh, also an organizer with Veterans Challenge Islamophobia, and a featured columnist with the Arizona Muslim Voice newspaper. Thanks again. Thank you, Mike. Okay, we're going to take a little musical break here, and then we're going to come back and um, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, Passover and a few other things. Uh, appertaining to that. There's something happening here What it is ain't exactly clear 
There's a man with a gun over there Telling me I got to beware I think it's time we stop Children, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down There's battle lines being drawn Nobody's right if everybody's wrong Young people speak in their minds Are getting so much resistance from behind Every time we stop, hey, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down A field day for the heat A thousand people in the street Singing songs and they're carrying signs Mostly say hooray for our side It's time we stop, hey, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down Strikes deep into your life, it will creep. It starts when you're always afraid. Step out of line, the man come and take you away. We better stop. Hey, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going. We better stop. Hey, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going. We better stop. Yeah, um, paranoia. But is it paranoia, right? But is it paranoia? There was this instance about, uh, and I guess you can read about it on Wikipedia, but um, one of the best uh, novels I ever read that mentions this, and I'm sure there are many, is this uh, book. I think it won uh, the National Book Award called Snow Falling on Cedars, which was written way back, sometime in the 80s or 90s, by David Gutterson. Snow Falling on Cedars, which is a terrific book. It gets a little carried away by descriptions of nature, of all things, and um, takes away from uh, the, the characters and the, and the plot. Um, but one of the main, um, one of the main, or a couple of the main characters are Japanese Americans. Um, and um, they are um, uh, interred. They are, uh, along with, uh, as I mentioned earlier, 120,000 other Japanese Americans, uh, 62% of whom were American citizens, none of whom uh, were, um, were ever suspected or proven to uh, have committed a crime of any sort, especially anything related to the imperial empire of Japan. But after the Japanese invaded Pearl Harbor, almost immediately there was this big roundup of people. Many of them, um, their families broke up and fell apart. They got very ill and died in these awful internment camps. Uh, they weren't concentration camps, but they were pretty bad. And uh, they lost their businesses. They lost the respect of their communities. And this is something that was uh, um, racism. 
good old-fashioned American racism. So that's 110,000 people. So then you say, well, there's three and a half Muslims, three and a half million Muslims in the country. That could, that's just too much. And it, it just couldn't happen. Well, it did in Germany. It did here with the Japanese. And um, who knows? The United States has um, a lot of experience right now with um, creating um, secret prisons and torturing and locking people up forever, like Guantanamo. <clears throat> so who knows what could happen? And as our guest mentioned, when you see people like Bolton being appointed and Pompeo and uh, Haspel, you begin to worry that something really is being built up here, that there's, they're, they're looking to do something. I mean, this really is, this really is a, a truly pivotal moment in our history. We've got a president who is ignorant and unstable and just plain dangerous, really. I mean, he's a dangerous man and getting more dangerous all the time, especially he's uh, now aided and abetted by these people. <clears throat> and what makes him, I think, more dangerous all the time is the pressure being brought to bear on him from two different directions. And I mentioned this earlier. One side, On one side, he's being slowly but surely closed in on by Robert Mueller. And on the other side, insanely enough, I mean, who, who believed this was ever going to happen? That this that a porn actress and a stripper, Miss Stormy Daniels, and somebody he had sex with twelve years ago, uh, not to mention, and also all the other women, you know, all the other women who have come forward uh, to say that he had sex with them. This is after he was married and you know had a kid. And now you know you can't condemn the man just because uh, he had an affair. I mean, how many men and/or women? have had affairs when they're married in this country, you know, uh, tens of millions probably. But uh, this is the president of the United States. This is a man who condemns other people, who has no sense of morality at all. And um, do you ever wonder how long, what, what, what must it be like to be Melania Trump? I'm sure, I'm sure you've thought about that. I think about that. This woman lives in the White House <clears throat> with their 12-year-old son. <clears throat> what must it be like to be her with all of this stuff coming out, with the whole world knowing about it, everybody looking at her, everybody thinking about it. And what is it like to be her son? A 12-year-old kid, who, if he's not being homeschooled at the White House, has to be going out every day um, to school. What must it feel like? I mean, obviously, he doesn't read all this stuff or see all of it, but just the same. <clears throat> Anyhow, um, so from these two completely different sides, he's being closed in on. And it would be hard enough, it was hard enough, for even a steely character and a seasoned political player like Bill Clinton to bear up under the pressure uh, he had. And, uh, you know, Clinton was uh, pretty bad himself in some ways. But Trump, Trump is basically just an, an ignorant bully and a child, really, with only a superficial grasp on reality. So how much less can he bear up under this kind of pressure, which is much worse than what Clinton had to endure, or I should say worse, and coming from two completely different directions. Um, <clears throat> what is truly scary is that this pressure is, is obviously coming to the point where he might crack under it. I mean, so much uh, has happened, and people think that he gets, you know, I mean, he's, he's like permanently enraged. So what his cracking point is, who can tell, right? Because he always looks like he's about to crack or blow up, but he seems to uh, thrive on that. Um, and But he might actually just crack up. And if you combine this with uh, his vast powers to cause planet-wide destruction, I mean, to start wars with the North Koreans and the Iranians, um, either of which, considering who they are 
and where they're located, I mean the one bordering Russia and the other bordering both Russia and China, this could result in something like a world war, for sure, no doubt about it, right? Um, uh, and it's like Hitler. We talked about this earlier. I mean, here we are talking about Passover, um, you know, uh, tyrants um, and bondage. And uh, like Hitler, who, again, nobody, and I keep repeating this because it's true, no one took him that seriously until it was too late. Trump is surrounding himself with lackeys, adoring lackeys. They mirror and they praise every whim that he has, every bizarre opinion and prejudice he has, just as Hitler had Goebbels and Goering um, and Himmler and all those people. <clears throat> Trump says something, just says something with a tweet or he speaks his mind about something in his mind. And then it goes through this sanitizing, like this Fox News processor. And then they report whatever twisted thing he says as actual news. Uh, then Trump sees this and he certifies himself to himself. So this is a kind of circular, like a masturbatory cycle of pure fantasy and massive dishonesty, which we all have to live with because this dangerous fool is the commander in chief. And now he's reshuffling his already compromised cabinet to make sure he hears nothing but what he wants to hear. Uh, he has picked John Bolton, who was uh, recently a commentator on Fox News, who is a, a notorious war lover to be his national security advisor. And Bolton, you know, his, his personality is uh, complete all the way through. Wherever he's worked, he's one of those people, I think I heard him described or read about him being described the other day as a classic personality that kisses up and kicks down, which is a great way of putting it. I mean, <clears throat> he's the kind of guy who... Uh, kisses the ass of anybody who is in charge of him, is an authoritarian personality, and bullies anybody uh, who is, uh, he considers to be beneath him. And here's a guy, you know, who knows what kind of demon uh, drives this guy, but it's not stopping. And then Trump appoints the head of the CIA, as we mentioned before, uh, this woman named Gina Haspel. And she's a longtime professional CIA um, agent and administrator. Um, and the main thing she's famous for, as I mentioned before, and this is from Reuters, a quote from Reuters, intelligence officers who served with her and the congressional officials, and congressional officials said that in 2002, during uh, the George W. Bush's administration, <clears throat> she was responsible for the secret CIA prison codenamed Cat's Eye. Two suspected members of the Al-Qaeda militant group were subjected to waterboarding and other harsh interrogation techniques at the facility. Three years later, still during Bush's presidency, she carried out an order to destroy videotapes of the waterboarding, which simulates drowning and is considered a form of torture. This is the person he's in, got in charge of the CIA, except for one, the only difference here is that for once, probably surely by accident, he's got somebody in charge who actually has experience at the agency. Now, most of his other appointments, they had no experience at all. I mean, the most laughable and the saddest one is uh, Ben Carson at uh, Housing and Urban Development. I mean, he has no idea what he's doing and doesn't belong. I mean, but all these people, you know, oh, I mean, Pompeo, uh, well, and, um, <clears throat> and, and as we did mention before, you know, he kicked out Rex Tillerson, who is no paragon, but uh, at least uh, he was a relatively sober individual. Uh, and now Monk, Mike Pompeo is there. Pompeo is, uh, in addition to be anti-immigrant and, um, you know, graphically and generally 
anti-Muslim without uh, distinctions at all. Uh, he's also uh, famously uh, a, a climate uh, change skeptic. Doesn't believe in it. This is a guy, by the way, <clears throat> who um, who graduated first in his class at uh, West Point and went to Harvard, too. I mean, so it doesn't make any difference. I mean, I've heard this all my life. You're so smart, how can you be that way, right? Well, <laughs> what's it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean nothing. Anyhow, so here's his top three advisors on national policy in regard to the rest of the world. And the Republican Party currently is a flock of basically immoral cowards who, except for a couple of individuals, have given up all claim to integrity, <clears throat> though it's encouraging to see that a significant number of Republicans in Congress who are up for re-election are either dropping out because of Trump's outrageous and disgusting behavior or at least making little tiny squeaks of uh, protest about the head of their party. And this is an article in the paper the other day is that uh, something close to uh, 40, as many as 40 uh, Republicans in uh, the House of Representatives and the Senate are not running again or have dropped out of races that they hope they could win. Because they, they, one of them said, uh, every time I would go to a town meeting, that's all they talk about is Trump. Trump Trump's outrageous, immoral, and destructive behavior, uh, his filthy behavior, has, um, and I don't mean that sexually, but I mean he's just uh, his horrible, insensitive, inhuman behavior, has affected everything. And we can only hope and pray that, um, that it really <clears throat> does make a difference when it comes to the... Uh, to the voting in the fall. And uh, it's not all bleak. I mean, uh, you know, you had the Women's March in the beginning, and, uh, and all you can say is uh, thank God for all these kids who were out against protesting against guns. I mean, they're protesting this ridiculous, antique, poisonous Second Amendment, which should be repealed. It shouldn't be altered. There shouldn't be laws changed about guns. It's all uh, half steps. It's like the... It's like, um, you know, it's like the Health Act, you know, the Affordable Care Act. It's a, a half step which resulted in a lot of good, but also it's just really not getting to the point. What we need is Medicare for all. So these kids came out, and I, I saw some of them. Uh, this past um, Saturday, I was um, up at the Metro North train station uh, in uh, Harlem meeting my sister-in-law coming in from uh, Connecticut. And um, I saw these kids get out of the train, and it's so nice to see them. I mean, they're fresh and they're young and they're new. They're gonna, they were going out on the street. They had signs. And this is real free speech. See it happening, right? In uh, a still existing democracy. And they're protesting uh, the murderous policies of the NRA and the, uh, basically the Americans' uh, insane worship of guns and actually killing uh, so finally, a new generation gets involved and involved in a righteous cause. And I haven't seen anything like that for a long time. It was thrilling and inspiring to see. Um, <clears throat> see these are especially hard times, especially hard times. There's always hard times, but these are especially hard times in our country and in the world. With all the progress there's been, with all the science and technology, we have to exert control over our very fragile lives. Uh, you know, and we have these, all these things. And we try to, uh, to rescue ourselves or to make life better in some way all the time. So with all this stuff that we have to exert control over the difficulties of life, why does it seem that the world is more out of control than it ever was? 
sometimes it seems to me that the very objects and the methods we've created to give us more freedom are actually subtracting from the sum of our freedom and keeping us in a kind of slavery, literally a kind of slavery. And a question I ask myself more and more all the time is, um, does your, I mean, think of it, does your phone and your TV and your computer and your social network make you feel as if you had more choice in your life or less? I mean, it's really something to think about. Most of us live in a kind of, I think, electronic tyranny, and including myself, that is practically invisible because it provides so much instant gratification and, such, uh, and shows such a, like a sparkly, addictive, entertaining face all the time that you're drawn into it, and like I am too. Uh, anyhow, uh, speaking of tyranny and slavery, uh, now it is for many Jews, even the ones who aren't particularly religious, which includes me, except that I yearn for it. <laughs> my, Samuel, my awful Gemini ambivalence and contradiction, right? I remember... Um, uh, <clears throat> Passovers at my grandmother, at my grandmother's when I was a kid, uh, back out in Queens, and she was uh, an immigrant from, um, you know, from Eastern Europe, and uh, she was—I don't think—I don't know if she believed in God. She was so cynical, I couldn't see her actually believing in God. But she she practiced the rituals because it was important because of what had been done. Uh, in villages all over Eastern Europe and in cities, all the anti-Semitism for hundreds of years, for a thousand years. And then um, also by that time, the Holocaust had, had happened. And she was uh, determined to make sure that we understood that we were Jewish. She didn't make a big deal about believing in God, but she wanted us to remember to, to be that, not to forget because it could be so dangerous to forget these lessons of history. Anyhow, it's, uh, so it's a time for, it's, you know, it's time for Passover. The first Seder is tonight. And this is a commemoration. What is Passover? It's a commemoration of, um, of God and Moses liberating the Hebrews from bondage in Egypt. Well, <clears throat> actual slavery, except in isolated spots of the world, no longer exists. There's not actually slavery with people... Uh, working the fields in chains, being whipped, and families being sold, and people being kidnapped. It happens in some countries and in some places on a smaller scale, but it's not a massive way of life or an industry the way it once was. Uh, Though in some countries, uh, when it comes to bondage and slavery, women are treated as property, and that's a form of slavery. And some of them are bought and sold as forms of uh, sex slaves. And in some countries, there are millions of people whose working conditions are more like bondage than anything resembling a free choice. I mean, uh, millions of people in these uh, clothing factories uh, in China and Vietnam and India uh, working and living in dormitories in awful conditions. I think one way or another, really, you know, we're all in bondage um, to some extent, more or less, depending on our awareness or what our situation is. Uh, it's bondage either to the material world or the spiritual world or both, um, in, in the spiritual world, I should say. Most of us, we do our best, right? I mean, we do our best to live decently. I mean, to behave in the best, most benevolent way that we can afford to. But as it always was, ancient or modern, life can be really hard, right? What's new? We struggle. We struggle all the time. And it's like we have chains that bind us and some of them are visible and some of them are invisible. Uh, and I think at least once a year, it's a good idea to commemorate the liberation from tyranny. It's a very good idea. I didn't come up with it. 
<laughs> Passover's been around a long time and other holidays like that too. To celebrate, you know, like the 4th of July, to celebrate the really terribly hard work of going from a state of bondage, and this includes in your own personal life, from a state of bondage to a state of freedom. You get to like your chains. You get comfortable in your prison. Uh, and it doesn't matter if it's uh, from a pharaoh or a modern-day autocrat. It's a good idea to celebrate it. And I think it's also a good idea to commemorate the liberation from bondage, lest some people in some countries forget their past and become transformed into the oppressors themselves. Uh, the threat of the immoral and, I guess you'd have to say power-hungry, and their inhumane systems of government is always there. Hitler and Stalin, Xi in China now, and Kim in North Korea, who just creepily had a meeting the other day, and Trump and all his little Nazis that he's recruiting, and all the other gangsters in the world, uh, they're always ready to impose their will on people, always ready. And uh, people have to resist this as we all knew back in the 60s, and we see it now with these kids uh, getting out on the street. In some places, though, like China and North Korea, Russia and Syria, uh, and places like Saudi Arabia and a few others, the fascism is so iron-bound, it's so strong and complete, that to resist it is to put yourself almost certainly in the path of imprisonment or death. I mean, you know, it's, um, it takes tremendous courage to do anything like that. We can look around for a God and Moses to deliver us, but they don't seem to be on the job right now. I don't think so. And you can only hope that they haven't given up on human beings and gone on to try other, other places, another planet maybe. So the modern-day pharaohs and their minions are in the ascendancy all over the world. Thankfully, in this country, we still have a relatively free, though diminishingly so, media. And despite the antiquated electrical, electoral college and gerrymandering and local laws, which are by Republicans mostly designed to prevent people from voting, we still in the main have an opportunity to vote leaders in and out. I mean, it's still, a, it's still a fact of life here. And I think maybe one of the greatest uh, expressions of that will be, one of the tests of that will be this upcoming election in the fall. And everybody knows that. If anything's going to break then, if we're going to lose our democracy, it could be in and around that vote in the fall. Um, people like Trump and the people he's recruiting, these America First types, I mean, they are, they are ready to uh, cash in democracy. They're re they've had it. They're all going to get jailed if they don't. Uh, but with Trump um, and his inherited, I'd say, balance of executive power, which has been going on way too long, on all these right-wing billionaire backers he has— and the coward and the cowardice and the avarice currently ruling uh, the Republican Party and also the minority party, the Democrats, they're too much in love with power and money themselves. Uh, we're headed straight towards fascism here. It's coming to that. It can happen here. So we work against that. And in the meantime, um, maybe it's worthwhile to try praying, right? I mean, what could we lose? It couldn't hurt, could it? just in case maybe some greater benevolent force is there and for a change actually listening. So for this Passover, here's my prayer. Oh God, whoever and wherever you are, please hear our prayer. Deliver us from bondage. Free us from the tyranny of evil leaders and their ignorant followers. Save us from the Egyptians, the Hittites, the Amalekites, yea, even the stalactites and the stalagmites. And while you're at it, Maybe you could give us the wisdom to know the difference between the two. 
Protect us, O ruler of the universe, from the vicious depredations of the strong and likewise the sad immorality of the weak. Grant us some relief from our smartphones, smart TVs, 5G networks, and one-click next-day deliveries. Likewise, provide us some surcease from Twitter, Instagram, WhatsApp, Snapchat, yea, all their kind, in the millions. Deliver us not only from fake news, but also from too much real news. Render unto us some portion of the peace which comes from turning everything off. Save us, O God, from the CIA, the NRA, the KKK, and the uh, NSA. Finally, appealing to your measureless benevolence, we pray on this Passover, don't let us wander too long in the desert of our own apathy, delusions, and ignorance. And do not let us forget the sharp and terrible lessons of history so that we may not repeat our great misdeeds. Transport us, O God, from the obscuring mists of our fear and anger and deliver us into the life-giving embrace of love. Amen. Oh, freedom. Oh, freedom. Before I be a slave
And this is Mike Fader. Um, I hope everybody has an inspiring and good Passover and an inspiring and good Easter. And I'll be here next week. Thanks for listening. Well, it's all. Someone to tell you everything Sit around and wonder what tomorrow will bring Maybe a diamond